Welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. Hello and welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. And Russell, Fringe has started. Yes, it has. And we have just finished our first weekend, or our first week of Fringe shows. Yep. And I'm beat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to make it through the month. We're, we're both a bit tired, to say the least. Uh, but it has been quite an opening, a wide variety, and... Um, d- different stuff, that's for sure. Yeah, I've already seen so oh, such good shows and hilarious shows. And oh, it's just what's great about the Fringe Fest is there's so much diversity here. Yeah, it's it's something... Actually, I was talking outside one of the shows. Um, uh, wow, was that only last night? <laughs> I guess it was. Uh, talking about the the fact that the wonderful thing about Fringe is that there is such diversity and... It's a chance for a lot of productions that it's a great venue for people to experiment. And I think that's uh, something that you and I have encountered already is shows that are not fully, fully developed, but this is like their birth. It's like you're watching something that, that like, wow, this has so much potential. And that's kind of the excitement of Fringe for me is is like walking in, not knowing anything about a show. And is this going to be great? Is it going to be so-so? Is it going to be horrible? Uh, yeah, like roll the dice, buy a ticket, take your pick, like find something that interests you and go. One thing that we were really excited about this year for Fringe was they added an immersive theater category and there was a bunch of immersive shows. And our friend Noah at No Proscenium hosted a party for the immersive side of things at Stephanie Fury Studio Theater. And Russell, this is actually where your night began, correct? Because you went to see another version of Firelight, which is called Fire and Light. And Firelight was a show we saw a few months ago that devastated us. Yeah, it was so moving. It's such such a beautiful piece of theater. Uh, I have fallen in love with this piece. And what they have done is they've taken, well, that I was about to say they've taken two sequences out of it, but that's unfair. They've actually taken more. Uh, they have divided it into two pieces, fire and light. And if you go to the Hollywood Fringe Fest site, you can buy tickets to each portion. Uh, they're in two different locations. So if you buy a ticket for either of these, make note of which location you're supposed to be at. Um, what they've done is they took the show that we saw um, not that long ago um, and divided into two portions. And it concentrates on, there's elements of the entire show, but it concentrates on that first opening sequence, Mike, um, which is a, a wonderful, wonderful, intimate uh, party, which you are welcomed into. And during the course of the party, you witness two couples expose entire relationships from the beginning to the end, whether the end be positive or negative, all in the course of one conversation. And Mike, like this time around, it it was as effective as the first time I saw it. Really? And um, the other portion was sort of like the final sequence of Firelight. If you remember that sequence, um, that was one of my favorite sequences in the whole show. Pardon me. It's actually not the final sequence of the of the of the whole show. I pardon. Uh, I, I I'm mistaken by saying that. Um, some people will know it as the igloo scene uh, from the original oh, show. Oh man. Yeah. It, it was and Mike. It was as beautiful this time around. 
just so lovely and um the the strength of fire and light both um rely in the cast oh definitely they put their all into this yeah it's you know literally this is an ensemble work this is a cast of you know actors and actresses giving their all and you know the thing that i i find just so beautiful about this piece is literally every head turn, every tilt of the chin, every hand gesture, you know, every tap on a shoulder has meaning. And, you know, especially when you get into light, um, uh, that there's so much, I, I literally, Mike, because I, I kind of knew what was coming out of curiosity. I looked at my watch right at the beginning of that sequence there's a sequence in light that is probably over 10 minutes long with no dialogue. And you get so much information just by how someone moves a cup and how someone carries a tray and how someone opens a piece of furniture. It's, it's a beautiful piece. Um, you know, and it's, and it's immersive in the, in the idea that you are partaking in part of the scenes to a degree you aren't engaging necessarily on a one-to-one level, but, uh, you know, you're, you become a member of a family or you're the guest of a family or you become part of a relationship. So, you know, all of that is intact in this shorter version of these sequences. So if anyone, um, wonders if they're, if they're missing anything by not seeing the full show, um, you're missing some content, but these are worthy. It's like, if you can make it to, either of these shows in fringe i highly recommend them did you get a sense that they would remount firelight as a whole after fringe in the future i do not know i hope they do like this is a beautiful beautiful piece i really hope it's remounted at some point yeah if you miss it at fringe then definitely sign up for their mailing list and try to try to see this at some point if they redo it so you started your night out with that. I started out mine uh, with a show called Why We Become Witches. Mm-hmm. And you know me and you know why I chose this show. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it has witches in the title and it's it's a story about how a spinster does everything she possibly can to get her family to leave her alone, including making a deal with Satan. So the premise sounds really fun. And I, sometimes I build things up in my head and this is not what I expected it to be because of course with me, it's like, oh, witches and how someone becomes a witch is there's going to be pentagrams everywhere and there's going to be sacrifices and blood and, but there wasn't at all. Um, it was a one woman show and there was no horror elements to it, which is fine. Um, but it was still a really good show. Like I was engaged. I was, I was paying attention and I was following the story along. Um, cause I, you know, sometimes these things you just, Oh, this isn't what I thought it was. I, you just blow it off. You never really pay attention, but mm-hmm. I did. And it was, it was really good. And you really felt for the woman, um, whose name is Laura and she was called aunt Lolly by her nieces and nephews. And it just goes to show you how people can be taken for granted, even by loved ones. And when you don't do what, when you don't go with what their expectations are from you, you get a guilt trip. And, you know, that's what this story was about. Yeah. And you just follow the story of, of Laura while she goes to live with her brother and the expectations that her family has of her and how she just wants to be left alone 
and there's a point where she moves away and wouldn't you know it her nephew finds her and is like hey i'm here okay let's do this let's do that and her attitude is basically i just want to do my own thing and be left alone and that's when she makes a deal with the devil and becomes a witch and just to be left alone and it's a lot of um, the story ends up with giving her the confidence, I think, from that pact with the devil, um, you know, instead of doing like rituals and stuff like that, it it gave her that that extra little confidence boost that she needed in order to assert herself. Oh, that's that's interesting because I, I have not seen this show yet. And judging from your description, I was wondering if you were going to get to the title and, and you did at the very end there that they're actually she she actually chooses to utilize that pact in some way to deal with her family then. Yeah, exactly. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it's a one woman show. And some of you might recognize the lead actress, uh, Lisa Wyatt, as Kevin's girlfriend from The Office. Oh. So that was pretty cool. You know, because usually in Fringe, it's, you know, it's all local theater companies and stuff. I, I haven't really seen. Or, yeah, every now know. and then you see you 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 see people from you might recognize from television or other venues, definitely. So we quite often in the, on the magic shows we see people that we've we're familiar with from other areas too. So after that, I actually saw you for a few minutes because I was stopped by the party because this show ended a little bit earlier than it was supposed to. Um, right. It was supposed to go for 50 minutes, but I think we were done in maybe 30 to 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had some extra time uh, and got to hang out there and talk to a few people, but it was really cool. Yeah, there were definitely some familiar faces at the immersive party, definitely. Um, and I think you saw me going into uh, Fire and Light. Yeah. So. And I also heard your name being screamed, <laughs> which was pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, the they began Fire and Light with uh, one of the actresses you know, screaming my name and pulled me aside and sort of uh, gave me a little one-on-one sequence that um, I, I do not want to say anything specific about oh, that yeah. because the show is running through the, through the month of June for Fringe. Um, but it sets up the show and Mike, since you've seen the show and I know we've had several people contact us and say that they, they loved firelight. Um, it just set it up where, um, she gave me some information about a man that she was attracted to. And she asked my advice about something that he was saying and doing. And that sort of sets up the first sequence of fire and light, uh, being fire, which is, uh, all about relationships. So I thought that was a very nice intro to the show. And then from that party, I went to the Dark Arts Prelude, which you did later on that night. Yeah, I think I was like one hour behind you on that. Yeah. Um, what did you think of that? It's You've also done the Dark Arts show. Yes. I have not. Okay. So, so I'm gonna just going to make a comment on this. Um, I don't know how I feel about this because I don't know how it ties into the full show. Right. We were told that we were going to have a consultation with two characters from the Dark Arts show that's running at Fringe. And the consultation was to be about something that we were in crisis over. So we had been asked uh, for, you know, a, a, a topic to discuss. Uh, I wasn't sure how I feel about this because, you know, actually, Mike, you said something to me not long ago that I, I really take to heart about immersive pieces. And this is definitely an immersive piece. This sequence was... I walked into an office and had a consultation with two professionals. Right. That's what I did. And you said something along the lines of um, an immersive piece really, really works when you forget 
that you are part of a scene or witnessing a scene. Yeah. And this did it for me. How did you feel about that? It's the same way. And I think this is what I described. This is the reason I said that to you. Yeah, I think it is too. Um, Because when you go to immersive shows, because the scene is still somewhat small, you start seeing the same faces in different Mm -hmm. productions. Um, And sometimes it can be hard to separate someone. So it's like, oh my God, I saw you in X or I saw you in Y. And in my mind, you might still be that character. But with this, it wasn't. Um, This scene had Larry, who we've become friends with through the tension experience um, and lust, and Stephanie Hyden, who was one of the handlers in the tension experience. Mm-hmm. So it's such a different setting to be in because Larry is pretty jokey. Um, whenever we see him, we're always laughing and making jokes. And Stephanie, last time we saw her, she was covered in blood. And, you know, now they're in like suits and being professionals and helping me with and, and you and everybody else who goes with a personal crisis. And as soon as we walked in and after that handshake and they just started, it's like, this isn't Larry and Stephanie anymore. These are two people that are helping me solve a problem. Yeah. Um, I had a very similar experience. Um, and I don't know how this is going to tie into the rest of my experience with dark arts. So as far as this experience goes, the one thing that struck me as odd was that much of the scene was about me. And I wasn't expecting that. And when I walked away from it, I was like, wait a minute. Like, I thought I was seeing a show or a scene or a prelude, because that's the name of it, to a show. And it was so focused on me that I didn't know what I was supposed to get from it. Because I wanted to learn about those two characters, because they're really interesting characters. Right. And the performances were really strong. I encountered four people, and every one of them was pitch perfect. Just like amazingly well cast. So, but it just surprised me that, that they really did concentrate on me asking me and trying to pull information out of me. Like I was just sitting there going like, okay, this is odd because I bought a ticket to a show about me. I wouldn't do that. See, here's, here's the thing. Uh, and I'm going to read this from the websites because, so it's not a spoiler. Right. So Dark Arts Prelude is a standalone immersive experience designed to provide backstory and context for the Hollywood Fringe Festival production Dark Arts. You are in crisis even if you think you aren't. Something is weighing on your mind or lodged in your heart and you need someone who can free you of this burden. Lindsay Klein and Andrew St. Jude are expanding their corporate crisis services to aid the general public, offering personal crisis management solutions at a fraction of their obscene rate. So that's exactly what they did. The firm came and helped you instead of their corporate clients. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it's about you, it's about us, it makes sense in this context. And once you see the show, that I think that will become more clear. See, that's that that was actually I was about to ask you that question. Do you feel that this will make more sense to me when I see the full show? Well, it's I mean, this doesn't like what they do with you doesn't have anything to do with the show. Mm-hmm. I, but I will say that there were some things that we talked about and answers I gave that made me like rub my chin because wait a minute, that was mentioned in when we had our our appointment. I wonder if this is because of that. Oh, that's you interesting. Know, so there's things like that happening, but 
whatever happens with you, that is a standalone thing. Mm-hmm. And it helps you to get into the world that they're in. So when you go see the show, you already know what they do. Well, here, and that's, I think that's the strength of what I saw in the prelude is the glimpses I caught of their relationship. Cause you get the hint that there's some tension going on between those two characters. Pun intended. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> pun completely unintentional. Um, the, I wanted more of that information, but I don't know if I need it. So, and like I said, I, since this is a prelude to another show and I haven't seen the other show yet, I go in about a week that that's my confusion, I think. So, but as you said, this scene, this scene, which was what, less than 15 minutes long Mm -hmm. was very effective. And I, I really did feel like I was being consulted. They didn't help me with my problem. Like I just flat, as a matter of fact, at the end, the last thing one of the characters said to me was like, oh, about your problem. Um... You should check with a contractor about that. They'd be able to help you. Like, uh, wait, I thought I was coming to you guys. <laughs> so that struck me as a little odd. But like I said, I also was picking up on the tension between those two characters. And I felt like I was, they were trying to get me out of the room. Mm. So I think that was part of that. So, well, as a matter of fact, literally one of the characters, you know, um, Lindsay just turned to me and said, I think we need to bring this to a close now. So because of something that had been going on in the meeting, she was like, we we need to end this, you know, so because the tension between them was getting, was interfering with the meeting, I think. Right. They got to keep it professional. So uh, like I said, I feel like I, 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 you know, like the pitch has been made, but I have not had a chance to hit the ball yet. So, um, so this is the dark arts prelude. This is officially not part of fringe, mm-hmm. um, but there's a dotted line to this because of fringe, because the main show dark arts, which is not, an immersive production it's a it's a proscenium show and it's actually a comedy um more so than anything else uh but you can get some background information and become basically a client of theirs through the prelude um and the prelude is happening all throughout the month and then there's also a finale uh after the show and this won't be a spoiler for you but um I believe it was Larry's daughter was handing out flyers after the show. And she's like, it doesn't have to end this way. Here's, here's a flyer for the finale. You can change this. So that has my, like piqued my interest a lot. Oh, interesting. I did not get that. Well, you didn't go to the show yet. That, oh, you're, you're talking about the show. Yeah. The actual, oh, God, the I'm sorry. Show. I confused yeah. the two events. So I actually did see the full show this weekend. As I just said, they mm-hmm. were handing out flyers at the end. Um, and there's, a lot of shows that happen, like I feel like I have undiagnosed ADD and <laughs> no, we're, what I mean I, is I am not going to comment. <laughs> so like if I'm at a show, I'll be thinking and it's not a hundred percent fulfilling to me. I'll start thinking of other things like, oh, I need to mow the lawn or I want to play Farpoint more or, you know, like what if I did this <laughs> differently and, you know, just random things and then I'll trail off and come back to the show at a different point. Mm-hmm. That did not happen. And oh, that's good because I was just so focused on the story and what you were saying about, um, about the prelude, the actors were on point. Like it was just, they were just so good. And it it's, it's weird. We've encountered um, some of these people before. Some of them we haven't actually seen have a lot of dialogue and things like that. So when you actually see it, 
it's like, whoa, holy crap. Like that's impressive. You okay. know? And it's like, it, it was just, it was just really cool. You mean, and, I, to clarify something, uh, you mean we've seen these actors in other productions? Correct. Oh, okay. All right. I, I thought, I didn't know if you meant like you saw them at your prelude or something. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, you're talking about other, other productions. productions and yeah, other companies. Yeah, a chance to see somebody in a different light. Yeah. yeah. You get to see their, what, like what their chops are and the chops were good. Well, actually that, that's one of the reasons. Cause I, I, I have looked at the cast list for this and a couple of these actors, I know I've been to productions, immersive productions where I really didn't encounter them. Mm, yeah. So that's going to be interesting for me because I know you've encountered, um, the, the woman playing Lindsay is named Stephanie. Yes. You've encountered her. I really haven't had much of an encounter with her. So, and there's other, a couple of other actors that I know that I've seen in other productions. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, good. You should, because yeah. it, it's a, it's a good time. Um, but the show itself is, uh, it, it shows a story of them working with one of the clients and then also some, some background stuff that you catch up that you caught from the prelude. Okay. Um, but man, after seeing this show, I do not want to be on their bad side. Oh, interesting. If you thought the questioning at the prelude was like, you know, let me rephrase that. Like, I do not want to be on the side they're against. Wow. So seeing the tactics and the way things can be spun, I'm I'm glad I already had an appointment with them Mm -hmm. so that at least I'm in their records and they know who I am because if I, if if it ever gets to the point where someone hires them against me, I'm screwed. (laughs) I'm really curious. Yeah. It was a really, really strong show and, and it was so funny. And, you know, and we, we said earlier, like Larry is funny. Like this, you can tell like, that he he wrote this. Oh, excellent! And there's definitely some Easter eggs if you went through the tension experience uh, in that show. <laughs> really? Which, yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome. Oh, very cool! All yeah. right, definitely looking forward to seeing this. Yeah. So uh, again, Dark Arts, and for more information on the Prelude, which is not a part of Fringe, so you won't find this information on the Fringe website. Um, the Prelude and the finale. Go to darkartsplay.com. So, Mike, the next show we ended up seeing together, and the whole reason, this is one of those things you pointed out to me, and I read the description and went, what the hell? <laughs> I love shows like that. So, um, it's a show called Nothing Bad, a Werewolf Rock Musical, and that's exactly what it is. It's a rock musical dealing with werewolves. And it's so freaking fun and goofy and ridiculous yes like (laughs) picture like kind of like a grease love story tied in with werewolves and living in pleasantville actually oh it's funny because i also thought pleasantville when it first started yes that's the first thing i my mind went to right and um and i'm glad you made the grease reference that's a good reference too i didn't think of that at the time the premise of Nothing Bad, a werewolf rock musical, is that you are attending sort of a seminar, sort of a... It's like a sign-up. Like a sign-up yeah. to become part of a very exclusive gated community called Perfection California, where nothing bad happens ever happens here. Yes. Nothing In a very catchy opening number, <laughs> nothing bad ever happens here. Um, and what you find out is that they have engineered 
and I think that is the correct word, a community where nothing bad ever happens, crime is extremely low, nobody misbehaves, nobody does anything wrong, and it's through self-policing that that is possible. Well, obviously, uh, if you've seen any, any social satire movies, any political movies ever, you know that that is just a doomed premise. So we meet a couple of the young people, uh, particularly two young couples in the show, and we follow them, I think, primarily for the majority of the musical. Mm -hmm. And it just goes wrong because of the repression. Because when you try to repress something and you try to make sure that people don't do something, it's going to build tension and something is going to go wrong. And that's exactly what happens. And it just so happens that it involves werewolves. <laughs> and it's a musical. <laughs> and that's another thing. So we've seen a few musicals this weekend. Yes, we have. And it's just blows my mind how much talent is out there that not a lot of people know about. Yeah, and it's it's funny because I, I get the impression this is sort of a like a workshop production vibe. Um it's we saw a preview performance and and look i i'm there were there were a couple of clunky transitions and there were things like that you you can't fault that at a preview performance uh the cool thing about this is you are not going to believe where i went mentally during the middle of this musical where <laughs> okay i don't know how much freud you studied in school what yeah <laughs> That's where I went. <laughs> because this whole thing of uh, repressed sexuality, which the ingenue is being forced to marry the squeaky clean guy, but she's, you know, she feels the desire to be with a bad boy who might or may not be a werewolf. Um, who, And then you have the bad boy jock who thinks he's got all the power because popularity is power to him. And he feels that he can do anything to anybody with no repercussion. Like all of that. Think Freud. Think id, ego, super ego. And think of if you repress the id, the ego is not going to be able to negotiate it. And the super ego will suffer somehow. This is like Freud having a fever dream and deciding to write a goofy rock musical about werewolves. That should be the quote of the year. <laughs> that's that is literally halfway through the show that's what was in my head and i thought like okay this is really cool that that there's this much going on and look this is goofy fun but again i'm gonna point to this is the beauty of fringe this is an experimental show and in certain ways this is a daring show because mike how uncomfortable did you get watching a musical number about date rape you're asking me that question yeah i am i i mean you feel for the character exactly like it is awkward it is uncomfortable and i i want to stress there is a musical number which skirts around uh non-consensual sex but it is not exploitative. It is not glorifying it. It is. I want to be clear that I'm saying that because I don't want anyone to think that I'm 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 saying that about this musical. What it is is you watch this uncomfortable situation happen, and then during the rest of the show, the ramifications of it and how power can be misused, and you know the the term rape culture, unfortunately, has been 
sort of in the communal sensibility for the last couple of years for various reasons around this country. This touches on that as, as sort of like a, this exists and it's ugly. And the fact that in the middle of this rompy, campy musical, that they were able to work that in, not as a sledgehammer effect, but just to make you uncomfortable and make you realize that if the sexual politics were different, if people could express themselves freely in a society without fear of being reprimanded or held back because they're honest about who they are and what they desire, that freedom offers growth and a better society. And the fact that that message is hidden in the middle of something called Nothing Bad or Werewolf Rock Musical, dude, I was just like, my head was spinning about three quarters of the way through this show. Like, I cannot believe that they're trying to incorporate this. And I thought they did a very good job of it. They definitely did. I mean, I didn't go as deep as as you just did, but... but... <laughs> Mike is looking at me with his typical, where the hell did you just go? <laughs> <Look."> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but you, I mean, you, it's like uh, that, that sequence is squirm inducing. And the cool thing is they didn't bring it up and drop it for the rest of the show. It comes back and is dealt with a couple of different ways, you know, and I, and I'm not going to, I don't want to give spoilers, but you also have to wonder is revenge the best tactic? Always. (laughs) That was a little fast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, or is using political power or, you know, it's like, how is that dealt with? I thought that was a fascinating aspect of the show. And I commend the creators of the show for tackling that in this format because it, it, it's pretty damn cool. And I, 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 I want to stress, this is not heavy, right? You had a good time, right? Oh, yeah. It was great. Yeah. It's so much fun. And uh, the the squeaky clean couple... <laughs> I got so much laughter from that relationship of, you know, the guy who is just too good and too squeaky clean and too mm-hmm. perfect. Like that character clashing with, he, he doesn't know when somebody wants, when expresses themselves and wants to change, he literally can't function. And I just, I, I, I thought there was a lot of really good comedy coming from that relationship. Okay, Russell, but back to the werewolves. I mean, it's called a werewolf rock musical, and you're talking about, like, Freud and stuff. Okay, take it away, Mike. (laughs) So, you know, you just mentioned the the couple, and um, who the couple is Lily and Christopher Cross. Yes. Which is awesome, because, like, when your name is Christopher Cross, like, in... That's a cross to bear. Just stop, please. <laughs> but when you're in, a, when you're a character named Christopher Cross, and you're in something like this, which can have fun and can be ridiculous at times, having songs where it's like I cross my heart, and you mm-hmm. know, it's like stuff like that. It's like it's so bad, but it's so good at the same time. Yeah. And you know, when when Lily, who's the the good girl, you know, she realizes she wants more. But, you know, they've haven't even kissed yet and they've been dating for what a couple years at Mm -hmm. this point yeah and you know then the bad boy werewolves come and does she does she change does she become a werewolf i mean 
you you have to go see what happens but it's such a good i I don't want to say twist but it kind of is but like that was my favorite part It, it felt like a disney type message it within this werewolf story are you talking about like the whole follow your dream kind of no i'm talking about the realization of the aftermath of everything oh because that's exactly what happened it was there all along sort of you are who you are and again, I'm 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 going heavy, and I don't I don't even understand totally why. Because really, it's a it's a werewolf rock musical. People, rock musical werewolves. <laughs> really seriously, <laughs> what more do you need to know? <laughs> but uh, I, seriously, I I thoroughly enjoyed this show, and I I hope that, you know. Okay, look, uh, a couple years ago, we discovered a musical called Alien versus Musical, uh, at the Fringe Festival. That thing has been workshopped and and developed farther. And I honestly look at this and go, keep going. I want to see a bigger production. I want to see a smoother production. I want to see, you know, I want to see more of this. I want to see this again in a year. I, I like that. That's how I walked out of this show. That's how positive I was when I walked out of this show. Oh, yeah. And there's definitely ways they could expand this yeah. if they wanted to. Yeah, a great time. And how did you like the werewolves, by the way? They were great. They're fun, aren't they? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, we went back, if we go back to that podcast where I had like this like... I know. ...10-minute conversation about werewolves, so... I know you like werewolves. I do. So yeah, nothing bad, a werewolf rock musical. Check it out. And almost immediately after that, we saw another show together, Mike, that same night. Which was? Jack the Ripper's Mistress. Yes. What did you feel? Oh my God, I love this so much. Like, loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Stop really? staring at me. Yes. <laughs> it was so good. I, I don't think I loved it as much as you do, but I loved it. And the cool thing about this is the whole premise when it first started, it's a premise you kind of recognize as, um, and we won't get spoilery here. Uh, if you read the description of the show, most of this will become apparent to you. Uh, you begin with a a scene involving a prostitute and it's something you've probably seen before in movies or plays where the prostitute has to deal with a client who would rather talk than do anything else and so it becomes storytelling and the story that she unfolds man is so fascinating to me and that's and i think that's why i loved it so much because you jump from time frame to time frame Mm -hmm. and she tells stories about her and Jack the Ripper. Yes. And about it's, it's kind of a, almost a vampire story where true love never dies. And it's a tale of obsession because they become somewhat obsessed with each other, her and Jack the Ripper. They encounter each other numerous times. I don't want to give too much away, but it's not the healthiest of relationships. Yeah. Well, when you're with the murderer, can they really be? <laughs> well, it's like, it's funny because I talked with um, our friend Jake joined us for that. And Jake and I um, talked afterwards because uh, we were heading toward another fringe show after this one. And Jake and I had a conversation about at what point does someone 
stop a bad pattern. And that's part. And and, and actually, I, I one of the things I said to Jake when we were talking about this show is the show actually does address how unhealthy this relationship is. Yeah. Because somebody actually flat out says like, why do you keep doing this to yourself? Why, why do you keep going to the flame that burns you the most and hurts you the most? And they try to help her like get away from that as well. Yes. I mean, some people might look at this and say it's a metaphor for addiction. I personally don't think I would go there, but it's a tale of obsession, man. And it's dark. It's like it's really brutal, cruel, and it's sometimes gruesome. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah. And I really at first I, I didn't understand the time jumps. Um, but it's like, oh, but they're immortal. Okay. But yeah, how did she sense. become immortal? And you know, so those were the things, but there's only one thing and I was like waiting for it. I was on the edge of my seat and it didn't happen. What? They go somewhere where they could have incorporated another serial killer. And I thought that's where it was going based on the pattern. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. The World's Fair? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly... Because as soon as that got set up, I was like, oh my God, we're are we going to see him? Are we going to... Is they going to talk about him? Um, and, and at one point, I thought they were going to try to convince us that Jack the Ripper was that serial killer. Right, because that's a rumor, actually. And I, I, you know, I, I don't think that's what they're going for. But yes, as soon as yeah. they mentioned that, I went to the exact same place. It's, and it, o- it, it's only people like us that would be <laughs> that would do that. It's very funny that you and I both have like, oh, well, if they're talking about this city during this time period, well, obviously they're going to talk about that serial killer, right? Um... <laughs> but it doesn't take away from the show. That's just me being me, and like you know, a wish list of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is cool because they do incorporate like other things from history. Yeah. There's, there's a modern references. Actually the show starts with one of the most publicized deaths, um, probably during our lifetime. And that's kind of a catalyst for the first meeting. So yeah, there's some, there's some really interesting stuff at work here. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed this show. It's dark and it's really disturbing and I can't, I, it's funny. I, I just walked away. I didn't have a good feeling after this show mm-hmm. because of, I, I just felt like I, I wanted, I wanted it to reach a different conclusion than it does. Right. Because I'm an optimist. Life is not about happy endings, Russell. Okay. Obviously you're friends with me. <laughs> so, uh, God, I was going to make a really bad joke right there. Oh, go for it. <laughs> We're used to it. Uh, you've never given me a happy ending, Mike. Oh, Jesus. That's, oh, that's coming back to haunt us. <laughs> Look, you set that up, okay? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that is on you. Uh, um, excuse me, Jack's mistress. I have someone new for you right now. <laughs> but yeah, but Jack the Ripper's mistress. I mean, this is one like I wouldn't mind going to again. I, I find that there's so much in this that's interesting. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. And even the like the secondary characters, like their story. Yeah, true. You know, like very true. The very the very last crew that we meet. Yeah. You know, and which of course are my favorites, but like, you know, how did they get to be like I would have loved to see some like a like another version of this where it's like a backstory mm-hmm. or like focusing on a single time period with a backstory right. into the future and how it got to where it is now and like but yeah like this is 
this is just great. Like I fell in love with this. You definitely liked it more than I did, but I, I am fond of this piece. Definitely. So after we left that, I went to probably the <laughs> most ridiculous thing that I've seen this. And I mean that as a compliment. And I felt like I was watching like a trauma movie live on stage. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. That's pretty damn cool. And that is zombie clown Trump. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what can be said. I mean, first of all, it, the show started by zombie clown Trump handing out clown noses to all of us mm-hmm. to show support. And we go in and it's part variety act in a way it's part like, like sketch comedy. And there's an actress that is a Barbie doll, like literal Barbie doll. Like, and and you're giving me that weird look, but it's like, <laughs> it's just so funny. And uh, it's just, it's, it's, it, I, I don't even know what to say, but <laughs> did you have a good time? Yeah. Like okay. I was, I was laughing the you're, whole you're, time. You've got your goofy smile. Yeah. And you know, they, they go into song parodies, but at zombie clown Trump is singing them and the lyrics are changed to reference what's happening on stage. And, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a puppet as well. All right. What's the uh, puppet or can you not, can you not share that? Oh no, I can. Okay. Cause he, he's on like the YouTube and stuff. It's oh, all um, right. Um, it's, it's Sean Sphincter is the puppet. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those shows. Okay. <laughs> um, if you're easily offended, and this, it's funny because it says this in the fringe description, but if you're easily offended or a Republican, this show might not be for you. All right. But the I give them I give them credit because they did they they worked in a lot of things that have happened like within the past week. Oh wow. Um. So chances are this show was written you know ahead of time to get ready for fringe and everything. Oh, yeah. So to be able to add current events in like uh, that's. I, that and and with a show like this, you can, and I think that's a strong suit of it as well because it's always going to be relevant. That's very cool. But and so, how does the zombie work in? Um, he got um, zombie clown Trump became a zombie because of his theory that in the New York Times they put stuff in the newspaper ink, and that's how he got it. So he blames the Times. Yes. Okay. Which. <laughs> You know, we make, we say this as a joke and as part of like a comedy thing, but they might actually think that at some point. Okay. All right. Part, parts of the story is about his daughter getting kidnapped and how the rock is going to run for president as well. Okay. And how, <laughs> see, it, it's just, it's like that. It and, just sounds goofy as hell. Yeah. And how his wife wants, is going to leave him for the rock and it's it's just so ridiculously awesome no that's that's not ridiculous you of course you'd leave trump for the rock well yeah that's true yeah <laughs> but there's um some of the songs were were just hilarious like there's um you know madonna parodies michael mm-hmm. jackson um there's queen then there's video at points to tell more of a story about the rock and his wife. And that, <laughs> okay. that, that made my night like that video. Cool. Yeah. So 
if you're into random, super random things, like I don't do drugs, but I would assume this is what it's like to be on drugs watching this show. All right. Like it's just a little bit of like everything just thrown, like combined and yeah, it's, but it's, it's super funny. Sounds like a recommendation to me. Yeah. Are you going to see it? Uh, I have not found a time when I can make it, but I would like to, I will give it a shot if I can. Yeah. It's scheduling right now is kind of crazy. Oh yeah. You can say that. So what did, else did you do that night? Uh, Jake and I went over and we saw Dr. Faustus, which is uh, Knights of Allentown West presents this uh, new version of the Dr. Faustus story, um, which is sort of a, you know, the a, a classic play about this character who uh, sells his soul to the devil for power and knowledge. And um, it, it it's it, the quote that they say is, uh, Christopher Marlowe's classic work with a punk tint examines the submersive nature of man against his own salvation. This was another preview production, Mike. So during the course of the production, especially early on, there were a couple of weird missed lighting cues and things like that. But again, it was a preview production. The cast is really energetic. The punk tint that they claim is pretty mild, but it's interesting. And I will say that... Um, when the show first started, it was a little rocky, and I think it was just the cast becoming used to the new space. Uh, but they they found their groove. It's a high-energy cast. If you like the Faustus mythology, this is sort of like a condensed version of the famous Christopher Marlowe play. So the language is dense. Uh, it's fast and furious. They delivered it at a breakneck speed. Uh, the cast is energetic strong the 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 peripheral characters other than faustus and mephistopheles uh, all play multiple roles and i will say that that is part of the fun of this production is seeing those actors take on multiple roles fast and furious man um there's <laughs> there's a couple of scenes where they get some good good comedy out of poking fun at everything from the pope to spell casting which is like there there's a lot of fun to be had here it's a very energetic show uh i would say if you like the the faustus story of the guy selling his soul to the devil and then possibly having some regrets like th- this might be worth checking out for you i think i'm seeing this soon so that's cool. getting me more excited about it like i said part of the fun of this is watching the cast have fun with this if that makes sense yeah and um, they make it their own yeah absolutely and all the minor characters really do have some fun stuff to to play with <laughs> i will say seeing it at you know i i think we left the show at 1 a.m in the morning uh so yeah it was like it was a good close to the night so that closed out your night but the next day oh yeah oh our first show it was awesome and that first show was John Armstrong Comic Amazement. Yeah. And this is a magic comedy show or a comedy magic show. It could go either way. It was a comedy show. Yeah. It was a magic show. But he's great. And oh, yeah. I first heard about him on Penn and Teller's Fool Us, mm-hmm. um, which because he did like that plunger card trick, which which you showed me. Yeah. And if anybody appreciates card tricks do a little Googling on John Armstrong and find that clip. It is worth watching. It's amazing. But live in performance, this guy is just... I smiled the entire show. Oh, same with me. Especially when you get to see talent like this in such an intimate setting. Oh, yeah. You know, because 
that, and we said this last year, um, but when you see a magic show at Fringe, it's usually in a tiny spot mm-hmm. and you can see like close up magic and card tricks and you never feel like you didn't see something because it's so intimate. It's just awesome. And last year we also mentioned, make sure to get there early so you can get in the front because chances are you'll get chosen. Right. And we did at points. <laughs> Again, we, we, I think we really stressed this last year when we were talking about the fringe fest, their welcoming of magic is so wonderful. It's, and we've seen numerous really strong magic performances. Know what's odd to me? Hmm. There's an immersive theater category this year, but there's not a magic category. That's interesting. And they have four, I think, at least four shows mm-hmm. that are magic oriented. Yeah. I wonder if that will come in the future. I think it should. Yeah, I think so too. And and like you said, I think the strength of seeing something at a uh, Fringe Festival is usually the venues are very small and intimate. I loved like sitting in the front row and watching this guy work. It, just, like, it was just, it was, he's very charming. He is just, you just get the feeling you're kind of hanging out with a friend Yeah, who knows cooler stuff than, you know, <laughs> and, and because it was, it was a preview, there weren't that many people in the audience, unfortunately. Um, but he used that to his advantage Oh yeah, and would just joke about that. And, you know, if, if we didn't, realize that he did a trick because there was a couple times like he's so good and so smooth mm-hmm. no one realized it's like oh he just did something right you know so he would use that to his advantage as well and it was it was so good yeah if you're a magic fan highly recommend john armstrong yeah and any magic show at fringe make sure to get there early and sit in the front because you probably will get chosen to you know, pick a card or think of a number or, you know, something along those lines. And it just makes it that much better. Definitely a fun show. And Mike, I rushed away from that because I was fitting in a a couple of shows. Uh, You went off to do a couple of things. uh, And one of them I am really curious to hear about. Oh, gee, I wonder which one. (laughs) Could it be Red Flags? Yes. And My Date with Emma? Yes. Going back to what we said about the dark arts prelude, when you think something is real, that's when you know that Mm -hmm. that immersive experience has worked and paid off. Mm -hmm. This worked and paid off and worked and paid off and worked and paid off like times a hundred. This is not a show like you like, sure, you go and you buy a ticket, but this is not a show. As soon as you meet Emma She's not an actress. She is your first date. Wow. And you go just into the small talks of that people on a first date have of getting to know one another. And it's so, so effective because it's so real. You know, it's like it happens, you know, out in the open or, you know, you can go to a bar or or something and just hang out and chat. And you know, as soon as it started and she started telling me things about herself, it's like, holy crap, I've had first dates exactly like this. Like these same conversations have happened. Oh, that's interesting. And it, it, you're making me a little nervous because I've had a couple of really bad first dates in my life. Well, that's the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> this is this. Ha- I hope, 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 hope they this extends past fringe because it needs to like I think this is a like such a cool story to tell about Mm. and a cool way to tell it um 
because unfortunately it sold out throughout Fringe's run. Um, but this is this is so good. Like this is probably one of my favorite things because you do get emotional. You get emotionally attached to this person that you just met because you're on a first date because the things she tells you. And it's like, you know, it'll be interesting to see like, you know, because some people will want to fix things. Some people will not want to fix things. You know, there's things like that. And, you know, I think I can't wait to hear what you do because knowing how you are, uh, like yeah. I can't, I can't wait. What little you just said about fixing things, um, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, this will be interesting for me. Yeah, it's it was, it was it was, yeah, <laughs> it was great. And it's it's funny because I've talked to a couple of other people who have done it, and I'm very deliberately telling everyone like I don't want to know any details. Just did you enjoyed it? And everyone speaks very highly of this yeah, show. There's a good reason. No, looking forward to it. You know, and if if we you know go back to it and treat it as a show this actress is incredible incredible i'm glad to hear it yeah and it's funny too because if if it does get extended i was talking with noah about this if it gets extended and let's say you know there's availability issues for the actress Mm -hmm. you could treat it like you're really trying to set up a first date like, if you think about it, it's like, okay, well, I can do it Friday at 10 or, you know what I mean? And that the, would... The awkwardness of never having yeah, the, the schedule gel. Like, that could that could add, so, like, another layer to this. Yeah, that's because Because how cool would it be? Like, instead of, like, okay, I'm going this day at this time, it was, uh, you buy a ticket and it's like, oh, hey, when are you available? Can you do it Saturday? I'm free at this time. And then you start the conversation that way. Interesting. Like, that would add so much to it. Capital W, feel free to do that. <laughs> Capital W is the company behind Red Flags. Definitely, I'm so looking forward to that show. Yeah, it's you're gonna, I, yeah, you're gonna love it. Well, while you were doing that, uh, I I slipped over to another theater and saw a show called "The Girl Who Jumped Off the Hollywood Sign." Now, uh, you and I had talked about this a little bit before uh, Fringe even started, Mike. I, I was kind of drawn to this. Uh, it's an award-winning show. It's appeared in other fringe festivals around the world. Um, it, it is written and performed by someone named jo- Joanne Harrison, directed by Vince Fusco. Um, and it's a one-woman show. And this thing, Mike, is just pitch perfect. From the performer to the the simple set that they use the lighting cues provide some really, really nice moments. Um, like this is, this is just a good, solid, solid one woman show. The, um, premise is literally, you can tell from the title, uh, you open with a woman, an actress in 1949 Hollywood who has decided to jump off the Hollywood sign. Now, if you know your Hollywood history, you may know that there is a little sliver of, fact hidden in this and it says that it's inspired by actual events in the show they acknowledge that there actually was a suicide by an actress earlier than 1949 of an actress that jumped off the hollywood sign ghost adventures talked about that once (laughs) (laughs) what this is is this becomes storytelling of just the richest variety because this woman 
is explaining how she reached such a desperate place in her life. Struggling actress, a woman with talent, obviously. And the, the frustrating thing is everyone acknowledges her talent. It's not that she is someone who can't perform. It's not someone who is doesn't have it. She's got it. But what she keeps getting told in the Hollywood, and at that point it was called the Dream Factory. She didn't fit what the Dream Factory wanted. So what she kept getting told as an actress in auditions is, you're too short, you're too fat. You know, your your hair is the wrong color. Your jawline is wrong. Your nose is wrong. Your face is wrong. And yet she was talented. So the frustration is she's got the talent, but she's never given the chance because she doesn't fit the cliche of perfection. And it becomes a very sad affair to listen to this woman speak about the frustration of everything that she has been trying to do. And one of the things, and, and I think this is the appeal of this show for me, in her storytelling, she talks about working at the Hollywood Canteen Club, which is the club in Hollywood where soldiers, before they went off to World War II, would hang out for a few days and be wined and dined and, and you know, all of these pretty up-and-coming actresses would dance with the servicemen before they went off to fight their battles and to defend the country. So she worked there for a while. She talks about working at the studio. She talks about dealing with the studio systems, the frustration of making a living and what it takes and how desperate do you become. All of that is unfolded in the story. And like I said, it is just pitch perfect, Mike. It is just, you believe that this woman lived during this time and that you are chatting with someone who really is this desperate and doesn't know what to do about it. So it, it's very sad and poignant, especially when you talk, when she starts talking about the idea of perfection and what Hollywood sells us as the idea of perfection, because no one can live up to that. No one is as thin as they look in the movies. No one is as handsome as they look in the movies or as beautiful as they look in the movies. They've got an entire crew of people designed to make them look that way. Right. So the sadness that comes out of her not being able to make it in that fake dream, even if it's a dream for her, it's a fake dream. So, and I, I should also mention that there are so, several songs from the era that she performs. Lovely, lovely voice and just this this was just one of those fringe shows mike that just i'm so glad i saw this that's awesome because you know you know i love storytelling yeah so and that's what this is this is you know a little over an hour long it's longer than your average fringe show and it just took me to a different place and a different time and told me something about a sliver of history that i didn't know before so it, it just it was enchanting that's cool. And I mean, it, it has validity now to a lot of people too, because, mm -hmm. you know, how many stories do we hear of people that, you know, unfortunately do bad things to themselves, like, or suffer from depression or eating disorders or things like that because they compare themselves to people like in the movies and stuff. Absolutely. So th this is, yeah, this is, um, and again, really, really, really strong performance here. So just, I, I, I'm so glad I caught this. That's awesome. So after I did Red Flags, I went to see Monsters. And Monsters intrigued me because the plot seemed pretty cool. Um, it's about two actresses living in L.A. And one of them is getting paranoid because she got a part in this movie 
that her best friend didn't get. And there's a lot of, oh, you stole the part from her. How do you feel about it? Um, Because they're both on a reality show. And she's getting more and more paranoid and is starting to see things and are the, the demons that she sees living inside or out of her mind. So like I was in at that point, um, were there demons? Uh, there was a guy wrapped in divotine. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, guy wearing black cloth. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but this did not work for me at all. Like this was not, anything I expected it to be you know earlier I said when I build things up and they're not sometimes they're like the build up and sometimes they're not Mm -hmm. this was not uh, for a couple reasons Um, the running time on the fringe site says an hour I we were out of there in 25 minutes wow Um, also it says it's immersive theater and it's interactive this was nothing like that it was just a play like we were just watching it. And uh, I actually, uh, Noah was in this with me and as well as Chelsea, uh, sh- they showed up. Um, and n- like I was talking to Noah afterwards and we just think that it's possible that they thought it was immersive because they spoke to the audience and they broke that fourth wall. Well, that but does not make it immersive. It, exactly. And it doesn't make it interactive either because there's no back and forth. Right. Um, so... If people are listening to this and, you know, because I know there's a lot of people that are just going to anything that says immersive theater, uh, be wary because this one is not the immersive theater that you know. Um, It's, in my opinion, it's not immersive theater at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, just be careful with that one. Yeah, we've mentioned Noah a couple of times uh, so far in this conversation. We're referring to Noah Nelson, who runs No Proscenium, which is uh, a, a newsletter that, if you're unaware of, and uh, podcast, and podcast too, uh, with lots of interesting interviews and to uh, everything immersive, everything immersive. <laughs> so also the name of a Facebook group on Facebook. So that's uh, that's who we're referring to um, in reference to immersive theater because he is very knowledgeable and helps uh, uh, distribute a monthly newsletter concerning immersive pieces, actually across the country. So what else did you do that night? I I think at the time that you were doing Monsters, I was doing a show called Pledge. Now, this is one of those fringe shows that I just was really intrigued by. And uh, at a workshop several months ago, I met one of the producers and he had mentioned this show to me. And it's a drama. Oh, that's, well... (laughs) (laughs) I would interpret it as a drama. It's also a dark comedy. There's a lot of laughter going on during this. But it is awkward, uncomfortable laughter. This is a new play by a playwright named Paul Schulberg. And the story of this is you're in a fraternity house for the majority of the show. And it is the story of what happens to the fraternity after one of the pledges kills himself. And how that affects the social structure of the fraternity. Because what they realize is they're living in this social structure, which is all about brothers for life, that brothers are there for each other, and that that's what they're so they're selling, so to speak, with the fraternity. And yet none of them really knew this guy who committed suicide in their midst. So it a couple of the fraternity brothers start to question themselves as to what does loyalty mean? And it starts to unravel the fraternity and a few of the relationships. And 
it's interesting to me that this this tapped into a lot of stuff for me. I did not feel comfortable watching this. And I and I mean that as a compliment to the cast. There's some really squirm-inducing conversations here about the power of men in a society that some people believe men have the power over women or deserve power over women. And in this fraternity, there are members who believe that and buy into that. And those conversations I found really, really uncomfortable to witness play out. And what I don't want to give any spoilers, but you find out that that dynamic has a heavy effect on a dating relationship of one of the brothers in the fraternity. Now, add to that the politics of there's some hazing going on because it is Pledge Week. And so there's also a lot of conversations about power and the use of power. And I was very struck at the end of the show that you were sort of left with this feeling that there will always be jerks in the world. Right. And some of them will rise to power because they're good at manipulation and presenting themselves as something other than they truly are. That's not a really uplifting message. Yeah, but it's the truth. <laughs> That's the key thing here is I, I think this is one of those uncomfortable black comedies, dramas that speaks really to the true nature of mankind. And I know that sounds lofty and I, I, don't, I don't mean it to um, because this play is based in something we can all relate to. Uh, I think we've, you know, the majority of us have been young and foolish. And I think what this is, is, is tapping into is that transition into adulthood where you make the choice to no longer be young and foolish anymore. And you decide to grow up because I think you have to make that decision of, I'm not going to be the manipulative, irresponsible jerk who goes drinking until 5 a.m. every night. You that, that has to be a conscious decision to change behavior. And you witness some of those conversations in this show, or at least the ramifications of those conversations. And I, I just, I, I think this is a really, really strong ensemble cast. Um, I, like, this might be one, for me this year at Fringe, this might be one of those finds for me where I'm going to be thinking about this for a very long time. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it just like, it was, I, I went in just with a little brief description and I don't know, this, this hit me hard and, and it hit me odd. And, uh, you know, I mean that com as a total firm compliment. It's like this, this is, this is uncomfortable territory to explore. And, and you know me, I like uncomfortable and awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement of the year. <laughs> so yeah, I, I really got a lot out of seeing Pledge. Good. See, like, it's stuff like this that I love. Like when you just find that, that random nugget and it's like, holy crap, this nugget is actually gold. Yeah. Good for you. Of the shows I've seen so far, this one has stuck with me a little heavier than the others. So then later that night, we met up again. Yes, we did. And this was one of the ones I was very excited about seeing. Mm -hmm. And it's So You Want to Be a Vampire. And it's the story of Brenda who tries and wants and just hopes and prays to become a vampire one day. And she wants to be turned by Fino, who's 
you know, a Neo looking Neo from the Matrix uh, looking super vampire that hangs out at the conventions and which really seriously that should have been her first warning sign is <laughs> she finds a real vampire at a cosplay convention come on well it's not a cosplay convention it's a vampire convention i, I know but y yes yes <laughs> let her believe russell okay but that's she's how deluding herself by. you're deluding yourself <laughs> but this was so fantastic to me and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, first of all, you walk in and they're playing Joy Division and then they're playing Bauhaus. Yes. And like <laughs> the soundtrack is incredible because that's all the stuff I spin. And just hearing like those conversations and seeing those people, it's like when I go to goth clubs, it's like I've seen those people. Oh, yeah. And I don't hang in goth clubs, but even I have seen these people. Well, growing up in in Western Mass, like there was one like alternative type of club and it was a goth club. So mm -hmm. like, that's where we all went. And, th and, th and this is when it was cool to be a vampire. And so you had people <laughs> wearing fangs there and you had people actually making fangs there. Was uh, this before vampires glittered? Way before that. Okay. And it was just like, you could see. So where I lived, it was in between like a bunch of colleges. So you would see those college girls that just came like they're freshmen or whatever. And it's like, Oh, an 18 and over goth club. Oh my God. And they would go and they, they just wanted so hard to be, to be involved and to belong. And this took me back to those days and it was, it was so good. And, you know, outside of the whole like memory thing, it's just so funny as well. The thing that I related to, the the lead character is so desperate to find that her fantasy is a reality and she will do anything. And so she buys into believing this mythology so heavily. And that's what I related to was the idea of like wanting something so, so bad that you ignore everything around you including your friends advice including um logic sometimes uh just to hold on to a dream the friend the best friend was great oh yeah absolutely like, because she like i've known people like her exactly like her who say the same things as her and right it's oh it was so good the the opening sequence of the vampire convention I thought they nailed, they nailed the best friend of how the best friend was, the, the, there's characters who are in the moment and doing the cosplay, and then the best friend is like, where did you get your fingernail polish? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's such a great shade for the cosplay. It's like, where did you get that? And you know, it's it's that type of, like, that type of vibe, and I just, because I've seen that happen at, at conventions. Uh, so yeah, I, was like, I just thought they nailed the opening so well. And, and there's, there's a lot to really like about this production. And again, this is, we saw a preview of this a bit clunky in places, but this is one of those shows again, that I'm going to say when they get some of the scene transitions down, <laughs> which, uh, were, were awkward and humorous at times because they were a bit clunky. But when they, when this show runs smoothly, this is going to be really, really fun. Well, and we, it it already is fun. I'm not. I don't want to discredit. You know what's worthy about this. But yeah, it was it was definitely clunky at our performance, and I think there were some pluses and minuses to what the show is. But like, this is something that I would love to see later in the fringe run. Right. 
because I, I want to go back and see how it improves. Yeah. And there's one thing we haven't even mentioned yet. <laughs> there's a splatter zone. Yes. And there's blood being squirted at times. Which my only qualm about that is if you're going to promise a splatter zone, there should have been more splatter. Yeah. There should have been more. And I think this goes back to the some of the clunkiness because it was their first show. I think yes. there was a some misfires as far as blood like, yeah especially at the ending yeah i think at the ending definitely um but yeah like that more blood is always a, a plus right um but and i will say that there is unfortunately one pivotal sequence for a character that is staged very awkwardly where a lot of the audience couldn't see it mm -hmm. and that's one of the scenes involving a lot of blood and i hope they could f I wish they could figure out a way of staging that where more people could get a clear eye line as to what's going on. Yeah. Because from where we were sitting, I have no idea what happened to two of the characters in that sequence. Right. So it's like, that's unfortunate. But, you know, if you're going to have a splatter zone, I wanted more blood, damn it. <laughs> more splatter. <laughs> more splatter, absolutely. Don't be afraid. Just so, do it. Now, the other thing about this is the seduction scenes of this, Mike. I, at one point, literally had my hand over my mouth because I was just like, I, I, I can't laugh as loud as I want to right now. <laughs> <laughs> because the seduction scenes uh, where the vampire is so deadly serious and the lead character is so earnestly wanting to be right and to make her dream come true, the awkwardness of that relationship is so hysterically funny. Yeah. And then add into that the minions who are aiding the vampire in a manner that just <laughs> there's, I don't want to give any more away about those relationships, but let's just say that they're all in this together and, and it becomes a very humorous situation to see the way they support each other. And then it, if you didn't feel bad for Brenda, like up until that point, mm -hmm. like just like, Oh, you poor thing. Like, this is not real. Like, you know, you end up feeling horrible for her yeah at towards the end i think that is one of the strengths of this show is the fact that you're talking about a woman who wants to become a vampire who has family issues who's like buying into this weird pseudo cosplay fantasy life and is desperately trying to make it real and yet completely relatable and everyone in the entire cast i think plays into a really fun vibe and tone, but underneath it, man, it's like you relate, you know, the pain, you know, that it's genuine. And when you get to the ending of this show, it, it, the ending, you don't want the ending that is there. Yeah. I believe that it's the only ending that can happen. Well, I didn't see that coming at all. I saw only about a quarter of it coming. Yeah. I, I figured one portion of that was going to have to happen. I'm t yeah. I'm talking about the pre-ending, not the ending ending. Uh, oh, uh, if you're referring to certain people's motives, I did not see that coming. Yeah. That's what I'm talking okay, about. Okay. No, I, I'm talking about the very, very last moments of the show. And that's what I was talking about when I said you will feel bad for her. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because at that, once you realize, it's like, oh, no. Yeah. You feel for this chick. Mm -hmm. Chick? Yeah. Wow, Russell. <laughs> That's dangerous territory. No. It's like... <laughs> so they used to be called chicks at the cosplay that I went to. You don't go to a cosplay, Russell. <laughs> cosplay is something Convention, that you do. <laughs> oh, oh, man. 
See what I'm working here with, folks? (laughs) (laughs) That might be cut out of the podcast. Don't you dare. (laughs) So convention. Let's say convention. So, I yeah, there's some really, really clunky performance that we saw, but that's stuff that will be smoothed out. And the earnest, that's the word I was looking for earlier. Earnestness. There's an earnestness to this story of the cast that makes you feel so hard by the end of it. That's just like you really, really sympathize with everything. And I'm talking every single character you sympathize with what is going wrong. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, check this out. Yeah, I definitely want to check this out again if if the time allows it. Yeah. And uh, hopefully this this is something that goes on year round. I mean, th- I could see this becoming like a cult thing and, you know, every Saturday at midnight or something like that. If Yeah, it's got that vibe to it. Yeah. It totally has and that, that vibe. And that's another thing. Thank you for saying that because as soon as we walked in, it felt like a party atmosphere. Like, because, <laughs> yes. you know, they they had like jello shots and they were handing us our convention badges and we saw like a bunch of people we know and and it was just everyone there was just so excited you know, it's like, oh my God, this is the only show with a splatter zone. Like, yeah. are we want to get bloody? Like, you know, and it's just like, it just had that, like that vibe that's reminiscent of seeing like reanimator the musical. Oh yeah. You know, when everyone's in line, like, oh yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, definitely. So that closed out our Saturday night, Russell, and you started with something on Sunday before I met up with you. Yeah. Um, again, I'm going to say, I think this is one of the strengths of the fringe festival. I saw a piece that I read the description of, and I just thought, I want to see this because I'm very unaware of what the story is. And it sounds fascinating. And I saw something called upstairs, a musical tragedy. Uh, And apparently my understanding is that what is being presented at the fringe festival is actually a slightly shortened version of a full length musical this musical tells a story of a really tragic event that happened in New Orleans in 1973. There was a bar which is located apparently on the second floor of a structure and it caught fire and 32 people were killed in the fire. Part of the tragedy of the story is the fact that people couldn't get out of the building because even though it was only the second floor, They couldn't jump because there were bars on all of the windows. And actually, some people did escape by slipping through the bars if they were small enough and thin enough. But otherwise, they were trapped. There was apparently only one entrance in the rear that people could go through. And people were led that way by one of the the owners of the establishment, I guess. And here's the tragic part. Because it was learned that it was a homosexual bar, it was a gay bar, A gathering place for homosexuals is the way it was put on the news. Apparently, the entire situation was never fully investigated. No arrests were made. There was never any justice for this story. So this is completely forgotten, except by the people who were directly touched by the tragedy. And upstairs, a musical tragedy tries to bring some light onto the story. Using the tragedy as... A jumping off point. It's a fictionalized version of what happened inside that bar. So it's actually, in many ways, a very uplifting story of family and community. Because you meet 
regulars at this establishment, at this bar, who come in and they talk about family problems and they talk about new relationships and dying relationships and old relationships that have never healed. And you see all of that play out. And there are some wonderful, wonderful songs in this thing. There's a couple of ballads in particular that I just was very, very moved by. And the fact that you know that the fire is part of this story it gives a very melancholy feel to the entire show. And you realize that some of the people you're watching, um, they're dealing with all of these day-to-day life decisions. But the thing that everyone is not aware of is how short the life may be. So when the fire happens, and Mike, this was this was really... I, I didn't realize how much I was affected by this until the moment that they actually showed the live news footage. Oh, wow. From the news reports of the report of the fire. And so it's this grainy black and white news footage. Actually, I can tell you the station because I grew grew up in the, the, on the coast of Mississippi, WWL out of new Orleans. Um, I grew up watching that station. That was the CBS station for me when I was a kid. And they had WWL news footage in the show and it shows the burning building and it explains at the very end of the news report, you just hear this reference of, you know, um, they were having problems identifying the bodies because it was a known gathering place for homosexuals. So what does that have to do with anything? They all carried fake ID. Oh, so there are people and actually there are people who were never fully identified. It- did it ever go into what they thought the cause might have been? Yes. And that I think is partially the fictionalized version of this musical because it tells you what happened that final night and there was an altercation in the bar. Um, and they choose to focus on what happens when you can't be honest with yourself. And there is a character who cannot be honest with himself because of the way he was raised. So they indicate, and I I don't want to say too much about it, um, but they indicate that it's a product of self-hatred as to how this all happened. And again, this is not representing, you know, the actual tragedy. This is a a fictionalized version. Uh, um, But all the points are there, and it's very valid based on the early 70s time frame that you believe that, the tragedy of this is the loss of all these lives that will go unremembered except for the immediate people who are affected. You know, and, and the thing that struck me, I think is because we live in a, in a time when how many times did you turn on the news and there's another school shooting or there's, you know, another tragedy of some kind where a bunch of innocent people, you know, we're recording this two days after a terrorist terrorist attack in another city around the world. So, that that's what struck me about this show and i i i think i'm i i feel like i'm being very somber right at the moment <laughs> but th- this is actually an uplifting show because in the end is of it is about coming to terms with who you are and what you are and it doesn't matter what it is there is value in everyone and that is the message i walked away from from this show So that's what I walked away from. It is a depressing subject matter. 
but inside this depressing subject matter, they celebrate life and exploration and love. So I, I really, really, really was moved by this. That's and awesome. Yeah, if, if you're interested in the subject matter, I would say try to get a ticket to Upstairs, A Musical Tragedy. So, but it is not the feel-good show of the Fringe Festival. Right. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> no, it's not. However, uh, worthy cast, worthy direction. Like, th- this is... Um, and also, just the fact that this is such an unknown story. You know, and it's it's a tragic story. So, and again, that's the beauty of Fringe Festival is finding little things like this. Well, I'm glad that after that show, you went to a, a really upbeat show after that. <laughs> yes, Mike. Because <laughs> after the show, we met up and went to see Incantesimo. Yes. Which is Italian. It means enchantment, basically. Right. And this is a music slash magic show. Very interesting, odd collection of stuff in this show. Yeah. The the magician, I or... I guess musician musician <laughs> both <laughs> how do you combine two words that end with the same thing i'm not sure <laughs> maybe you can't even do magic because music magic. a magician uh, um <laughs> muse mag no uh i don't know let's talk of muses in the show and this show stars ricardo berdini uh as the magician and musician um and the setup for the show was really, really cool. Like, I was really impressed. He's super talented. Extremely talented. Uh, there was live music taking place. And he combines music with storytelling and magic. Mentalism. Yeah. Which is part of magic, kind of. Yeah, it's, it's, a, different, it's yeah. a different area. Okay. Um, and it, it's, really, it's a really fun show. And it's like, as soon as he started talking, I was just like, I was enthralled. And probably for the first quarter of the show, I was super into this. His take on we are all connected through music and music is a language that we all understand. And uh, the idea that music is one of the first things that we might be aware of, maybe even in our own mother's womb, we're aware of music before we're aware of anything else. And he touches on those themes throughout the show and he keeps coming back to that, that music is something that connects us all and speaks to us all. And I should mention, by the way, the the cast of musicians here, extremely talented. Depending on audience participation, he keeps changing some of the songs. They were so adaptive and so quick to pick up whatever he was, whichever direction he was going. I think this is a really talented cast, a really talented cast of musicians. And, um, you know, Ricardo Berdini is, is really a charming leader of this troupe. He really is. He's very charismatic and passionate. You, you instantly like him. Yeah. I also realized that I really have no idea about pop culture. <laughs> How so? Because there were some songs that he was talking about and playing and he was like, everybody sing along. And I was like, I don't know the words to Led Zeppelin and the Beatles. Like, I just never listened to them. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm shocked for a moment. Oh, wait, you, yeah, uh, you know, you know, Stairway to Heaven. I know of the song called Stairway to Heaven. I would don't know it though. Oh wow. Don't forget, man. I grew up like in like crappy clubs watching punk bands and stuff. Uh, so well, I, no, because uh, I, I grew up 
um, classic rock stations in my area, there, there were two songs that you heard every day, and I am not exaggerating this. Two songs I heard every day of my life from about the seventh grade to the time I graduated high school because they were on the radio every day. Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin and Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner. That makes sense. So, yeah. Which, if you're a true Southerner, you pull your pickup truck off to the side of the road and, and you know, face Mobile, Alabama, whenever you hear Sweet Home Alabama. That's a thing? So, no. Uh, <laughs> just making that up. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> Let's make it a thing. <laughs> but no, it's like, the, you. I, I am not exaggerating. I probably heard those songs almost every day of my life in the time that I grew up in, in the Deep South. But we digress. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the show. Um, what did you think overall? I really enjoyed it. I I found it an odd mix. The the mentalism aspect of this is fascinating and the fact that he's tying it to music is something I have absolutely never seen before. It's a it's a very unique I think it's almost unfair to call it a magic show. Yeah, because there was very little magic. Yeah, exactly. And yet I was totally enchanted the majority of the time. He really doesn't do traditional magic tricks. Most of it, almost the entire act, is mentalism, which when he does the, you know, which is a mentalist tied phenomenon, the the bending of silver, things like that. I almost thought that felt a little out of place. Yeah. Because it is a mentalism trick, but, or a mentalism stunt, whatever you want to call it. But in the nature of what everything else that he was doing, it seemed almost like a non sequitur. Still fun. You know, it's like, I think the, the charm of this is the cast and him is the leader of this troupe. Like, I, w- I would follow him anywhere. I, I kind of like, right. at one point, I, I literally said, this guy's like the Pied Piper. The whole audience would have, you know, if he'd said, hey, let's go check out some live music somewhere tonight. That entire group, every one of us in that audience would have showed up. Well, let's not get crazy. <laughs> I had other shows to go to and you had other shows. Sure. Okay. But, you know, you see my point. Yeah. So how how did you feel? Well, I started off loving it. And like I, men- I mentioned just a few minutes ago, you know, like about a quarter of the way through, I was into it. And then I just lost my suspension of disbelief. Like everything came crashing down for a couple of reasons. The people that he chose to do things were the people that were conveniently sitting in the seats that said reserved on them. Mm. And when it kept coming back to those people, I just, it was just like, okay, I get it. You're, these guys are probably plants. And even if they weren't, the perception to me was that they were, and that killed the rest of the show for me. So there was a, a point in the show where he has the audience close their eyes and we feel the music and it, the pre, the precursor to that was he was telling us about like the being enchanted and you just it just takes over and you just start to dance you're in a trance and so he has all of us close our eyes to to try to get see which one of us becomes like goes deeply into the trance yeah and while that's happening now we're in the front row because we're nerds and we want to get there early and participate (laughs) um but he chose someone from the audience and i don't think this person was a plant but I could hear him talking to her over the music. Mm -hmm. Like I could hear him whispering Mm. and it's like, okay, you're probably telling her what to do. You know, Mm -hmm. even if that wasn't the case, that's the way I took it. And it just, when 
the whole purpose of a show is to make you believe the impossible is happening. Right. Any sort of thing like that t- ruins it. All right. I'm, I'm going to take a slightly different take on this than you for the majority of the show. I noticed that he seemed to be going back to the same people. Right. And which were sitting in the reserved seats, which I only saw two of them. I only realized that about like two of them. Yeah. So those are the main two I was talking about. And um, the interaction did seem like repetitive. And here's the thing with a magician. If you want to call this guy a magician, because I think he's so much more than that. You know, the the musician part of all of this was utterly fascinating. and, And that was the emphasis that I loved about this show. But he didn't fight the image of there being plants right that was the thing that got to me was at one point i thought doesn't he realize that that like the audience is probably now thinking that everyone's a plant that he's picking because he keeps going back to the same people and he never mixed it up right so that was the thing and like it didn't i didn't get to where you are about the plant thing until later in the show right and i think i know the point so did it have to do with initials yes what happened so before you go into the show, you filled out a, um, a small questionnaire asking about your favorite song, and then you put it in an envelope, and you put your initials on the envelope. Then those envelopes go into a box, and then they put those envelopes into a bowl in the center of the stage for the whole show. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he chose a an envelope, and it's like, okay, who has the initials DK? And wouldn't you know it, it's one of the guys that The same person who you've gone to like three or four times already in the show. Exactly. Yeah. But here's the funny thing. DK is also Debbie's initials, Mm -hmm. who is sitting right next to us. So when she also raised her hand, I could see, even though it was like a millisecond, it was kind of like a, oh crap, moment where there was like, oh my God, there's two of them. There's only supposed to be one Mm -hmm. because DK, who knows, you know? And of course it wasn't. Debbie because he was like oh I don't feel it was you I feel it's this guy you know and this was like oh okay at that point I was just like throwing my hands up like, yeah because at that point he was sort of um trying to through empathy like de- deduce what song the person was thinking of he didn't really didn't even try with Deb yeah he just had her sit down yep so uh and this was the moment Mike for me where I went okay, come on, <laughs> was because he sort of rearranged the envelopes in the in the bowl. Did you notice that? Oh, yeah. He didn't he didn't blindly choose. Yeah. Like he looked and so. But even the, he chose another envelope. Yeah. And who did that envelope's initials contain? Yeah, the uh, the girl that was chosen earlier. Yeah. So so it's just like, so, OK, fine. I, I'm oh, willing. Oh, and the third envelope. He chooses like RG. Oh, I know him. Oh, everyone's going to think you're a stooge. And it's like, yeah, we do. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, like, come on, man. Like, And that was the fact that he even pointed to that was another reason where I was like, why aren't you fighting the image that you have plans? Yeah. Put it back in the bowl and choose someone else. Yeah. It's like, why? I think that was the thing that, that really struck me is the fact that he wasn't doing anything to dispel the illusion that there were plants in the audience. And now here's the thing. If they weren't plants, cool. Yeah. Like uh, amazing if they were not plants. But if they weren't, but choose someone else. he gave us else. the impression. Yeah. He gave us the impression that he was using plants. That's a really unfortunate. And I, I want to stress, I recommend this show to people, Mike. How do you feel? No. Really? Yeah. 
see everything else that he did, all of the talk about the music and the history of certain words like enchantment and, and all that, I found that utterly fascinating. It was. And I would go for that. That's but, why I'm recommending it to people. But I wouldn't recommend it as a total show unless they understand that this is not a magic show and you are seeing a performance with probably actors in the in the in the seats. Okay, I would agree with that caveat. So, I, but I think there is something about his performance. I think he's damn good and what he does is fascinating enough to me that I would recommend this to other people. Even though I agree with everything that you're saying, man. Right. And and like I said, it was like the the whole bowl at the end was the moment where I was like, oh, come on. Yeah. So, which is a shame because I was really having a good time. Yeah, I was too. So, will you tell me what your favorite song is? Oh, I I, I put a New Order song. So did and, I. Uh, well, they didn't say like. <laughs> they didn't say favorite song. Favorite song, yeah. But yeah. So. That was the first one I thought of. Oh, that's the first one I thought of too. Even though like. You know, the the cool thing about Fringe is if you, at least for me, if you have an experience like this, there's always something probably later in the day that will cheer you up. And the rest of my day made oh. up for that afternoon times a thousand. Because right after this show, we went to the show I was most looking forward to out of all Fringe Fests, and that's London Calling. Yeah. And holy crap, did it live up to everything that I built up in my mind. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what you've said several times already. This was so much fun. I had such a good time at this. And, and uh, Mike, you, you are more familiar with The Clash than I am. So, And we talked a little bit about this before the show. Um, I came to The Clash late, partially because I think of where I grew up. They weren't hugely popular where right. I grew up. And um, when I discovered later how important they were, it was like one of those moments of like, wait a minute, like, why wasn't I exposed to this earlier? Why was what you know, why wasn't the radio playing this where I grew up? Yeah, but that's the same radio station that you thought Depeche Mode was a one hit wonder based on airplay. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I, I yeah, for a long time, I thought Depeche Mode was a one hit wonder because uh, they just didn't get radio airplay where I grew up. So grew up when Depeche Mode was making records, I was actually in college, but um, but yeah, they just didn't get a lot of airplay. And so I wasn't familiar with The Clash until much later. So a lot of this music, some of it um, I was more familiar with than others. Uh, we should say that London Calling is not the story of The Clash. Right. They use The Clash music with the blessings of The Clash, by the way, we should point out, that form the basis of a story of frustrated youth running up against economic hard times, struggling to make it and struggling to find themselves in a world. Yeah. Like picture train spotting meets quadrophenia meets any story about someone trying to form a band. Yeah. And that's what this is. And like Russell said, um, there's times when the cast will sing uh, a song by the clash to that represents the place they're in right now yeah um and they're this the singing it was just great man yeah like and and here's the thing that i loved about it i was really surprised at how some of the songs were used oh yeah definitely and 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 that's the cool thing you can go so many different directions based on the songs you choose mm -hmm. you know like they didn't use White Riot, but they could have used White Riot 
when, if someone went to prison, right. You know, and, or something like that, or, right. you know, and granted this isn't by the clash, but like I fought the law, you know, that that's the mm-hmm. same thing, but I, yeah, it's not a clash song. No. Even though most people know it because of them, but. Or the reggae versions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I think the thing that helps this work is that there are British actors in it. So they're using British slang mm-hmm. and you know, it just, it, to me, it wouldn't seem right having American accents singing the Clash songs. <laughs> I mean, that's just me being like, like a, a purist, I guess. But yeah, it, everything about this worked for me. And one of the things that I also loved is that the in-between scenes when you dress the stage and you take place the girls doing that were their own characters absolutely that made the show that much better mm-hmm. and one of them looks like Susie Sue so <laughs> i mean there you go but they had their own attitudes they had their own like characters and it was just it was just so much fun and like i had like that stupid smile on my face like the whole time mm-hmm. and like i was trying so hard not to like sing every song yeah. You know, but I was going into scenes where it's like, okay, what song? Oh, okay. They could be doing this one or this one or this one. <laughs> and, and it was, oh, it was so much fun. It was almost like a guessing game. And then when they actually went through with it, it's like, oh, I was right. Or I was wrong, but I don't care because this is amazing right now. Did you have a favorite as far as how it was used or the uh, most surprising as to how it was used? Um, um probably wrong and boyo. Like, I just didn't see that coming at all, but it was done so well. Um, because, like I said, I'm not as familiar with The Clash. Which which song was that? Uh, it's the one that the bartender sang most oh, of. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Sorry, yes. It's like, now that now that you say it, I was like, of course. Um, yeah, I'm I'm going to say, I'm not going to even name it, but it's, it's, it's the one song going into this, into this production that you know you're going to hear. London Calling? No. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. London Calling is probably the most obvious answer to that question. Sorry. Uh, no, one of the other like the songs that they're known for, the fact that it's almost used as a seduction, the fact that that song was sort of used as propaganda or recruitment material was just like I was just blown away by that. What song was that? Rock the Casbah. That was sort of like I, I didn't see it. They twisted the words in such a way where it's like, wow, like never have thought of that song in that way. Yeah, because yeah. I always thought of it as as an anti war song, and then being used to pull them to war. Yeah, it yeah, possibly. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, yeah, I had such a good time at this, and it's funny because this is the first thing you mentioned to me about Fringe ever. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, th- this was so much fun. I'm this so was... happy I saw it. Yeah, like I want, I'm I'm probably gonna go back honestly. Really? Because it gave me like all of those like you know how like. You know, we were just talking about music and, and everything, but you know how like certain songs remind you of a certain time period of your life? Yeah. That's what it was. Like like hearing all the all those songs and like those situations, it was like, oh my God, like I was at in that same situation when I was listening to this song or oh, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, bring me back to like high school days and, you know, going skateboarding and going to shows and stuff. And it was just like, Oh, memories. <laughs> <laughs> but it was yeah well yeah you know we you and i've talked about that you know there's another show that i have the same feeling about yeah 
yeah, and it's it has nothing to do with the show itself. It's what I bring to the show to some degree. So, uh, yeah, London Calling was uh, just, yeah, it was a great night. And it's such a talented cast. Like, I can't say enough good things about them. Yeah, like, absolutely. I agree. Like everyone was on point. Like, even though I think in the beginning they said it was a, like basically a dress rehearsal, not yeah. even like the actual show, but man, like if that's just a dress rehearsal, like I'm so excited to go back and see what the like not dress rehearsal version is <laughs> because they were all on point. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to point to something kind of odd. I love the fact that, the songs are spread evenly throughout the cast. Does that make sense? Yeah. There wasn't one person like hogging the spotlight, so to speak. And also you, even though the story, it is the story of youth. It is the story of youth finding themselves. Uh, how should we say the, the older cast members shine? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Every one of them had a moment in the spotlight that was just so endearing. And yeah, this, this entire cast from top to bottom uh, absolutely like nailed it. And from everything that like I've seen and like heard about British parents, like they were stereotypical British parents. <laughs> like it was so good. And going back to the, the fact that a lot of the actors were, were British. It, it's funny because going to our next show, we met someone who was British and we was like, Oh, have you seen any other shows? And we're like, yeah, we just saw London calling. He's like, is that about the Clash? And like, yeah, they they use Clash songs. It's like, are there any British actors in it? And it's like, <laughs> yes. And he's like, okay, I'll check it out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so Morgan, if you decide to go to this, it might make you homesick. Just FYI. And after that, we just kind of introduced it, but we went to another show. and it Another was musical. Another musical, which what a way to end our first week. Oh my God. Holy crap. This was so much... We're going to use the F word of fun again. Yeah. Uh, just wow. We went to see Buffy Kills Edward, a musical romp. And you know what? This is the perfect title to a fringe show. Well, this is the. It delivers the title. This <laughs> is the perfect plot to a fringe show. Yeah. It, uh, you know, you cross the streams of two different vampire franchises. Or and... maybe more. Dude, really? Yeah. But we won't say anything other than that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> anyways but this but this is the beauty of fringe like yeah. you can like i'm gonna say ridiculous again because you know when you think about it it kind of is oh but yeah. it's also a compliment but like you can just do ridiculous things and have like your kind of nerd dreams come true like well what if buffy tried to kill the twilight guys okay Fringe I'm in. Fringe will have it. Oh, I'm in. So right there. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> holy crap. It works. It works so well. And this cast plays multiple roles. Uh, several of the actors play multiple roles and have a blast doing it. This is obviously them having a great time. They parody, I guess, <laughs> the the things that drive you crazy about all of the characters in Twilight or Buffy, depending on which team you might be on. Uh, this cast sort of nails the mockery in a way that is affectionate, but you get so well. Like you can tell they're fans. Oh yeah. Just pointing out like plot holes or things like that. And so, yeah, like shining a light on them. It's like, I don't know. Like there's like, there's a couple of jokes in particular that I 
freaking love. And I don't even want to point to them because I don't want to spoil them for anyone going to this. Uh, there's jokes about, you know, a certain actress's acting ability. There's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> gee, who could that be about <laughs> a certain actress's appearance? Um, um, yeah, I just like they're this, they have a lot of fun with this. The songs are strong and hilarious. And by the way, I was humming that damn Slayer number on the way home. <laughs> that takes a different context when you say it like that. Oh, wait, humming that. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Not that, not, not that Slayer. <laughs> I, I want you one day to be humming raining blood, but. Oh man. Uh, no, this, this, uh, the songs are so strong. They tongue firmly in cheek. This is, this is, it, it's exactly what it says. It is. It's a musical romp. And I loved a bunch of the jokes in this. I just. Because they didn't take themselves too seriously. And that's what made it work. They, they know they're, it's to be done for com- comedic purposes. They know the audience, like in how the how we feel, and they just go for it. Mm-hmm. They just go for the throat. I'm sorry, you did not just say that about a vampire musical, did you? Of course I did. Oh man! <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> but it works, and the songs are fantastic and hilarious. And Sherry Berg, who plays Buffy. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And the fight scenes are incredible on a stage <laughs> that's about the size of my bed. Yeah. Oh, this is a great one. Like, you definitely need to check this one out. Yeah. Like, but yeah, if you can grab a ticket to this thing, do so. Because this this is one of those just feel good, absolutely riotous good times. You, just you will be laughing and your face will hurt from laughing and smiling by the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. Whew. So that was our first week of fringe. No, 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 no. It wasn't even a week. (laughs) That's true. It was only four days. Yeah. It was only four days of fringe. (laughs) So, uh, one thing, uh, when you go to the fringe venues, uh, you will notice that there is a, uh, lovely fringe guide, beautifully designed. I have one here in my hand right now. So uh, pick one up. It lists a whole bunch of the shows. It has a whole bunch of information, uh, in, like tutorials, guides, all kinds of information about how to fringe your best. It, it's it's just a really, really, really good resource. And and there's information here. I want to ask, how how have you really looked at this, Mike? No, not yet. Okay, because I, I, want, I marked a page that I want to know if you had noticed yet. Because this made me smile. You know, we've been going to Fringe now for several years. And one of the things that we fell in love with over the past couple of years is Alien versus Musical. And I was thumbing through the Fringe guide and I saw this. The award-winning Fringe favorite, Alien versus Musical, returns this fall. Yes. I was so excited when I read this page. It's an advertisement in in the Fringe Guide, and uh, it shows tells you where to sign up for updates, etc. But um, I was so happy. Yeah, that's exciting. Which... I'm going to make a point. <laughs> what we have said about how fringe shows change and grow from year to year. Like, part of that comes from people going to support the Fringe Festival. Go online, find yourself something to go see. If you're in the Los Angeles area, you owe it to yourself to get a little adventure in your life. Choose something that you don't know what the hell it is and buy a ticket for it. 
that's what we've been doing, literally. Anything that shows up that we're interested in, like, what the hell, why not? If we can fit it into our schedule, we'll do it. And things like Alien vs. Musical is something that we found at the Fringe a couple years ago. It has gone on to be something bigger and better. And hopefully some of the shows that we've talked about will do the exact same thing. Through your support, they will become bigger and better, and they will return in various forms, if not to the Fringe Festival, then to other venues, maybe other festivals. Okay, Mike, knock me off my soapbox. No, it's true. I fully support what you just said. I just, I, I just love this time of year. Yeah. I mean, just look at the variety of things we just talked about. Yeah. Absolutely. So go Fringe, people. Go Fringe. And go check out the Hollywood Fringe Fest website at hollywoodfringe.org. So next up, The Lust Experience. Lust. I wish you didn't have the oh yeah in there. That just makes it sound weird, man. Like it should. I thought you were just gonna do like dun dun dun, bitches. Peace out, bitches. Yeah, but if you say lost, I say oh yeah. That, no, that's not. <laughs> that sounds like a cheerleading thing. <laughs> we say lust. You say oh yeah, lust. Oh yeah, lust. Oh yeah. Okay, that's stopping right now. <laughs> Anyways, so some cool stuff has happened. Um. Iconfidant made an announcement that we can meet our Iconfidants on June 11th, which is next Sunday. Which we're going to be at Fringe all day. Yep. <laughs> so sorry, Iconfidants, we might not be able to meet you. Yeah, depending but, on timing. Who but knows? mine lives on the East Coast anyway, so I don't even know if if I would be able to meet mine because I don't think they're moving out here yet. Uh, my Iconfidant in a recent email mentioned to me that, you know, if I could make it on the 11th, uh, it would be cool to meet because I had been talking to her about Fringe Festival in the last, I'd mentioned Fringe Festival. So, and I asked her about the 11th because it had been announced. So she seems aware of it. And um, yeah, so it would be cool, but don't know because we don't know what time. And Mike, I, I think in the last podcast, I had said that I, I was feeling a little frustrated um, with the back and forth with my confidant. So I actually wrote her and said, I don't feel a connection to you. I, I feel like you're echoing me. I don't understand why we were a match. Um, Playing hard to get, I see. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so because we don't we don't haven't shared a lot of personal information. And like I said, in the last podcast, I didn't know if I'm supposed to be just sharing all of my personal information because that's not, I'm not going to do that with a stranger over email. It just seems weird. And I told her, I said, I don't know why we were matched. Like it just, I don't understand why this match was made. And she wrote me back where she acknowledged. She says, I have no idea why I was chosen to be your eye confidant. Do you know why I might have been chosen? So uh, I thought that was kind of humorous, actually. She's <laughs> like, I have no no clue why. So um, she also mentioned the June 11th thing to me, uh, like I said, and said it would be cool to meet. And she also made this, this weird comment in the email that says, um, either way, I have heard that after the 11th, all of these rules that make this so impersonal are not in place anymore. Interesting. Yeah. Like, what's the purpose of the company then if they're not? Well, I think she's referring the to the rules that like she hasn't given me her name. She, oh, okay. you know that kind of thing. Um, apparently, they're not supposed to meet, 
with people, uh, the, that sort of thing, which might be just a simple safety rule. So I don't know, but she's alluding to the fact that, that rules are going to change as of the 11th. Um, I don't know what the meeting is. Um, and then it's funny, I didn't respond to that yet. Um, I got that message uh, yesterday. And then, oddly enough, as we've been talking today about Fringe Festival and everything, an uh, email came through from her, and she blurted out all of this stuff about how she's been holding back. She admits it. And she explained to me, She, I, I've mentioned before that she has admitted that she was cheated on recently. She told me the story, a painful childhood story, where she realized that there was infidelity in her parents' relationship. And she explained to me why cheating is such a trigger for her. Um, she also um, told me this very odd story of watching her pet rat die. So I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to get from that. But at the beginning of this, you know, she says, here are some truths and deep secrets about myself. Um, she also sent me one extremely personal item, which I'm not going to repeat out of respect for a lady. But um, I thought this was a very odd email to receive since I haven't responded to her. The other thing I want to mention, Mike, is um, partially at your suggestion. Uh, I emailed Stacy Erickson uh, like three or four days ago, three days ago, I think. She hasn't gotten back to me yet. And just basically saying, like, look, I, I don't understand the process. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with my eye confidant. I'm just saying I'm not connecting. Like, is there, can you give me any advice? Or get a new eye confidant. I didn't say that. But because I don't know what the process is. I don't know why I was matched with this person. So, but I did, you know, partially at your advice, I, I emailed her and said, hey, what's up? This, this this doesn't seem to be working for me. I have not heard back from her, but I find it interesting that, um, well, as we were recording this, something interesting happened. Yeah. Um, Stacey Erickson went live for the first time on via iConfident on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, and she wanted to basically squelch the rumors that anything was wrong. Right. But there's something else because it looked like she was being forced to say those things. And she kind of looked like a puppy looks at me, like my dogs look at me when they know I'm there as an authoritative figure, if that makes sense. Like w watching them carefully. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah, okay, he's yeah, still there. Yeah, she looks there. off screen yep. a couple of times. Yeah. Um, so that's very interesting. And apparently she will be at the June 11th, uh, I confidant meetup, which is pretty exciting because yeah. she's the, the CEO of it all. So it'll be interesting to see the timing on that. I like it. So yeah, it will be interesting to see if we can make that. Yeah, I hope so. Um, but for my, I confidant, I don't think I talked about this, but the last, I also got an email back as we were recording today. It's not as mm. fulfilling as yours is with all the secrets and stuff, but, um, the last email I got before this one, we had spoken in the past about my eye confident felt real. Like they're asking me questions. We were going back and forth, things right. like that. Out of nowhere, the last email I got ended with two random questions. What is something that makes you feel frustrated and something that makes you want to hug the world? And that was just so random to me because... I was talking about that with other people and they were saying that seems like you're going backwards because those are the types of questions people got early on. And it was, yeah, it was just strange. So when I replied, 
I, I didn't answer them, but I asked, I was like, did you write those questions? Because they just seem odd. And I got a reply um, while we were recording, and they said, and yes, I did write those questions. I just realized that we've been emailing a bit, but don't really know anything about each other. So I thought I'd ask some more personal questions, things that make you, you. But it's totally cool if you don't want to answer them. We can also get to know each other through some sort of game. Which is very you. Which is, but that just sounds weird. Yeah, it does sound very odd. Like what? Like what kind of game? Like tic tac toe. Twenty questions. Thanks for bringing reality into this, Russell. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just thought this was weird. Like I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to respond to that yet. Yeah, I'm not sure how I'm going to respond to mine either. Dick pics. No. <laughs> <laughs> So earlier we were talking about, so you want to be a vampire mm-hmm. and because of the splatter zone and because of the blood that was going to be spraying <laughs> at us, yes. um, you always thinking of head brought a plastic bag Yes, and I asked you if I could put my phone with your phone in that bag so it mm-hmm. wouldn't get wet. And all of a sudden you look at me and be like, Oh, something's buzzing. And it turns out that it's my phone and you pick up my phone and you turn it over and it says unknown. Yes. And so we both start like freaking out like, ah, because we're in this show and it's about to start. And so I try to answer it and it was, I was probably like a half second too late and it hung up, but they called right back and I was able to answer it and go into the lobby with about one minute before the show started. Yeah. And it was Otis mm-hmm. and, oh man, that was such a devastating phone call to have because he sounded so scatterbrained and and helpless and out of it. And he was like, I don't know where I am, Mike. I'm drunk. I I I I can't feel my hands. They're numb. I don't know what's going on. And like it was so oh, it, it was heartbreaking, man, because I couldn't do anything to help him. You know, like right. not, not because I was at a, about to see a show because I would have dropped everything if someone needed me to like, if he needed me to pick him up, of course I would have gone, but I couldn't, I don't have his number anymore. He has a new phone. He didn't tell me like an address to go to like, you know, and like when I asked what I could do, if I could pick him up, like the phone went dead. Hmm. And at that point I had to go to the show and earlier that night, he did a Facebook live video that, that I didn't right. real, I didn't know about till after. And he was, he was taught, he had a deck of cards and he was going through the cards and saying like the 10 and two are the, the people that are on the bottom, but they'll, they're the ones that get things done. And, mm-hmm. you know, going through like the Kings and how one of them, this son of a gun is, doesn't even, people don't know that he's really on top or in control of it all. And, and it made it like that, Facebook live video made it looked like he was in the Sinclair's home quite possibly. Yeah. Because another thing he mentioned on the call was that he was in the hill somewhere. Mm-hmm. And of course, like, you know, if you're Noah and you're rich, you're probably going to be living in the hills and like the, the frames on the paintings and the color and you know, Sean pointed out the music playing was very similar to when the Sinclair's did their periscope. Right. So was he there? And we know Noah hired him as a driver at one point. Um, but, you know, I don't know. But Otis, if you're listening to this, you and me, man, we'll be the kings and take over. Let's rule this shit, dude. Like, 
contact me if you can. Uh, if you need help, let me know. Like we can, we can figure something out and we can take over. Yeah. The Facebook video was a side of Otis. I hadn't quite seen. He was, he was dark and, and moody and he, he didn't seem like the Otis I had seen when you had pie and periscoped. Right. Yeah. He's definitely, I don't know if he's going into a darker place or being forced there, Hmm. but him and I need to smash things up. Go for it, dude. So yeah, um, that's where we're at. Yeah, right so now. it's kind of like how you and I were affected by the lust experience this past weekend. And yeah. <laughs> I, I really, it, uh, dude, it sucks that that's going out down on the eleventh, and we've had tickets in place for weeks. <laughs> we're being present. So yes, that's true. So, uh, so yeah. So for more information on the lust experience, go to thelustexperience.com on Facebook, the lust experience on Instagram, the lust experience, and on Twitter, lust underscore experience. And check out iconfidant.net, um, sign up for their email list, and maybe you can have an iConfidant and meet them on June 11th. And now uh, just a couple things happened over the weekend as well. Um, the Alone Experience website got updated, and you can now have an AI-type chat with their website. <laughs> and you can ask it questions, and it will tell you things in a very alone way. Um I don't believe anyone has found out about a date that something is happening, but there's some interesting responses if you go through that and ask the right questions. So it's pretty fun. Uh, and it's mobile friendly as well. So you can chat with it on the toilet and you can find that at the aloneexperience.com. And one more thing um, from the people that brought you, have you seen Jake? They have a new show or they have a new experience called sudden loneliness they have a couple different tiers of interaction going from free to about $250 through the whole experience. So depending on how active you want to be, you can sign up uh, and it's a pay to play thing. So it's something that we haven't really seen or has been tested as of yet. Um, but you can find all that information at suddenlonelinessgift.com. And that's everything as of now until next week when <laughs> we repeat, repeat cycle. Yeah, that basically wraps up Fringe and uh, a little bit of Lust Activity. And if you would like to reach out to us, uh, you can reach Mike at Mike at MyHauntLife.com. You can reach me at Russell at MyHauntLife.com with two S's and two L's. Please check us out at MyHauntLife.com on the web. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are all at MyHauntLife. If you would like to leave us a message, please call 515-HAUNT-LA. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Russell. I'm Mike. See ya. Yeah. Because it started there. Right. So, no, no, I'll I'll start. Damn it, Russell. (laughs) You have confused me again. Shocker. (laughs) Um...